This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, this is Dr. Judy Cook welcoming you to Shrink Wrapped, a place where you can learn skills to shrink away some of your troubles, wrap yourself in more enjoyment, and begin to find more rapture about being in this incredible universe. How many of you remember that time around when you hit puberty, when your parents sat you down for that discussion? You know, the one about sex? And surely you remember them telling you, before we start this discussion, you have to choose. Which do you want sex with? Boys or girls? You don't remember that? Then how did it happen? Could it be that somehow you just knew which sex you were attracted to? And do you remember as you look back, even seeing those preschool children, where as you watched them you could tell they were acting more masculine or feminine than you would expect, and you suspected they might be gay, and maybe you even had the chance to see that manifest. Recent news events remind me of how too little factual information about our sexuality is available to most people, and I've been inspired with a desire to educate. I was raised in an era of bigotry that included queers, blacks, and often women and Hispanics, each often treated as if they had deliberately chosen to be something horrible that deserved to be looked down on at best and despised and even exterminated at worst. While the latter three categories are pretty clearly not a choice, the questions about sexuality haven't been clarified that well for many people for a number of cultural and religious reasons we will address later. Although we now know there are LGBTQ, that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, and queer variations of sexuality, I will use the term gay to apply to all of them for simplicity. Why did sexual issues get so hatefully targeted? Much of the hatred for human beings of people, things, and behaviors they don't understand actually derives from fear. And that fear may come from a lack of understanding, or teachings from a variety of sources, or a past history of problems and conflicts with a specific group, or a fear of those problems which can arise from our own minds or have been passed down over generations. There is also a common belief that all those people deliberately choose these behaviors because they are some kind of despicable human being. While there are choices that are despicable across the whole range of sexual behaviors, there are also things that are clearly not a choice. Many people want to refer to their religious texts as justification for hating queers. Interestingly, there are only a very few references to sexual interactions in the Bible, and those same-sex interaction issues are also accompanied by admonitions against adultery, bestiality, and a few other things. Ironically, there is only one commandment around sexuality, and that is, thou shalt not commit adultery. What if we, here in America, pursued adultery with the same hatred we use to pursue gays, which some religions in some countries do. Do you realize that both David and Solomon 
exalted kings in the Bible, had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines? Doesn't that constitute adultery? And David even had Bathsheba's husband killed so he could have her? Doesn't that constitute indirect murder? Yet another commandment violation? Somehow they were not only forgiven but exalted. Jesus did forgive adultery. Apparently he didn't find it necessary to mention those other things. How many of you recall a recent website that was a matching service for people who wanted to cheat on their spouses? Clearly people breaking the adultery commandment extends to a much higher percentage of the population than that 10% of populations across species, by the way, which have other sexual behaviors. Would we stone all of them, including adulterers, or hang them, or drag them to death, or whatever? Probably not, because adultery isn't strange and scary and seems more normal. And we aren't afraid of an unwanted sexual approach from the opposite sex like we are when it is someone of the same sex. Why would I say we might be afraid? Probably because of the mythology that somehow that problem could be contagious or rub off on you. Or that if someone is gay and are attracted to you, it must mean something bad about you. I remember when I was working at a medical school and one of the female PhDs was so blatantly attracted to me that the other techs on the floor would joke with me about it. I was married with a child and found this puzzling and like many people of the time worried about what was wrong with me that she found me attractive. Fortunately, I had a good friend, a physician, And when I asked him that question, his response was, Nothing, you ninny. You're an attractive woman. And if you're attractive to men, you will also be attractive to women who are attractive to women. That's all it means. What a relief. I've learned so much more since that time, and I want to share that kind of relief with others. There's a humorous episode I want to share with you that will also help explain where a lot of that fear comes from, especially in males. Women are used to fending off advances, even the crude ones. But they do experience how crude and forceful men can be and that men are also capable of things like rape. When my son was in college, he was on the staff of the campus newspaper and one of the other male staff members was questioning why girls complained so much about how rude and crude the guys were. He decided to check it out himself by going out in drag, disguised totally as a woman, and going to local bars and other places. And after that experience, he came back and wrote an article about how embarrassed he was to be a guy because of how crude their behavior was. Guys who are usually aware of that crude and often pressured behavior might fear that a gay guy would turn that same kind of crudeness and pressure and abuse on him. Lest we think men have gotten beyond being so crude, think of that college student who recently raped a drunk classmate 
behind a dumpster, and the judge who let him off with a few months of punishment, and the dad who thought that was a heavy price to pay for a few minutes of action. Or just the other day, when Harvard withdrew admission invitations to ten of the freshman males who had formed their own little private online messaging group that was trading sexually explicit comments and images, as well as racially derogatory remarks. Those remarks are so bad, I would not repeat them on the air, but you can search Harvard Rescinds Admissions and look for the articles from the first week of June this year. It would only have been a matter of time before gender-diverse people would also have been targeted. When something like that comes from our most intelligent and usually socially upper-class teens in today's society, that's really disheartening to me. It shows a total disregard of the value of human beings to belong to any kind of different group and choose to look down on them. So let's take time to get some education about what actually does determine our sexuality and sexual orientation. You will learn some things here that may sound stranger than fiction. Most people probably believe that sexual determination is simple. If you have XX chromosomes, you're a female. And if you have XY chromosomes, you're a male. However, in our Creator's universe of infinite diversity, it just isn't that simple. And just FYI, gender variation occurs across species, not just in humans. Let's look at two very clear-cut examples of gender identity that will help clarify what can happen that were even covered fairly recently in news media. First, let's look at hermaphrodites. Inspired by a recent news story of a kitten taken to the vet to be neutered, only to be found to have both male and female sex organs. Talk about a crazy mixed-up kitty. The same thing happens in humans and other mammals. They can be XX or XY or even a mixture of XX and XY cell types in the same individual referred to as a chimera. Just imagine one person having some cells with a male genotype and some cells with a female genotype. Pretty unusual, isn't it? It is pretty amazing that things can happen in such a way that we can have both male and female genes, both male and female tissue, and both male and female organs or parts of organs, in a single person. How can anyone possibly consider that a choice? Another dramatic example of the extremes of variation is testicular feminization syndrome. In this case, a baby is born and appears to be a totally normal female and does not get recognized as anything else because she looks female, acts female, develops the usual female curves and body parts. 
then the time comes that she should start having periods or making babies and nothing happens in that area. Obviously, time to go see a special kind of doctor. That is when she gets evaluated in a whole different way by a physician and is found to have a male chromosome pattern, XY. So she is genetically a he. How does this happen? Furthermore, on evaluation, she has testes, although they're located in the abdomen. Obviously, they aren't living or working like they should. Let me say this again. People can be born that look and act like perfect females, but they are genetically male and have testes. And yes, these males are attracted to males. As an aside, it's been known for quite a while that if you physically remove the testes or ovaries of a fetus of any animal, including humans, at an early enough age, they will develop into a female. It's our default gender. Similarly, if the testis is there, but it doesn't make the male hormones, or the body doesn't respond to the male hormones, a genetic male becomes an apparent female, or has very feminine qualities, a gay male. There are some, but certainly not all, of the gene and other biological variations that go into sexuality, but there are multiple possible other variations. Lest you think that testicular feminization is just one of those rare oddities that occurs, during our most recent Olympics, there was actually an article about how some of the female athletes had a much higher testosterone level than the normal females. Did this mean they were supplementing their bodies with testosterone as one of those kind of hormone supplementations that athletes get screened for to see if they are doping? No. They were women who had testicular feminization. And many of them had had their testes removed. And some of them still had elevated levels of testosterone. Did you know that women have testosterone in their systems normally? And it's a matter of how much, not if it's there. And that men have estrogen in theirs? There are many other ways we can have variations in how we were made and how our parts function that can all affect sexual determination and or sexual orientation. That molecule cholesterol is a major player. Yes, the chemical that doctors want us to monitor so carefully, which is pushed so hard by the drug companies, claiming it is the cause of heart disease. Without cholesterol, we would have no sex hormones. It is the building block for that and many other necessary functions in our bodies, like the lipids surrounding neurons in the brain and nervous system. The big causative issues of sexual variation after genes, though, are both the production of hormones 
in our gonads and elsewhere of other types and the organs that these hormones target, primarily but not only the sex organs. We all have both estrogen and testosterone of varying amounts and that is determined partly by our genes, partly by end organs and partly by the master hormones in the pituitary gland and there are many other factors that can affect the quantity and quality of necessary hormones. Once the hormone is there, it needs to act on the end organs and there are many factors that can affect how these organs respond to hormones. The important takeaway here is that sexuality has a full range of variation, just as do height, hair color, skin color, eye color, natural skills, IQ, likes and dislikes, physical strength, and so on. When there is such a wide variation in all these other characteristics, how could we possibly think they could be as simple as an on-off switch when it comes to sex? With all the variables and all the things that have a chance of going wrong in all aspects of our bodies, it is nothing short of miraculous that any of us are even born fairly normal, whatever that means. I used to know what normal was, but then I became a doctor, followed by specializing first in pathology and then in psychiatry, and boy did I ever come to appreciate the infinite range of normal, or else that nothing is normal. At any rate, sex is not an on-off switch determined by whether we are XX or XY, but a full spectrum of options even without considering abnormal chromosome counts, which are yet another player. Ironically, our sexual preference choices are also not an either-or issue. I doubt there are many of us who were asked to choose which sex they wanted to be involved with, but pretty much everybody knows by latency age which sex they find more attractive, and by teens it is certainly a very clear issue. Again, diversity is the name of the game. There are those who prefer same sex, those who prefer opposite sex, those who enjoy both sexes, those who enjoy almost anything that might come in contact with their bodies or genitals, even including animals and dead things, and those who don't like sex at all. Yes, that happens too. In Beyond Words, a wonderful book by Carl Serafin describing the intelligence, social networks, and ability to develop solutions to new situations by animals, he describes the dolphin as a creature that pretty much likes any kind of sexual stimulation. Hopefully you are beginning to get a picture of the fact that not just our sexuality, but everything about us is very complex. It is probably worthwhile to recognize that normal really is just a social and mathematical analysis of the range the majority of people fall into, much like IQ has a range of normal or average. Being outside of those statistical norms does not make someone bad and generally isn't something they can control. We're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we will discuss some of the things that are choices when it comes to sexuality, 
some specific and very difficult choices for gay people and some of the things the world might be missing if gay people were not part of our world. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome back to Shrinkwrapped. We have been discussing the many factors that determine sexuality and sexual orientation. And now we will look at some of the issues in sexuality that do involve choice rather than being biological in origin. So what do we choose about our sexuality and behavior? Probably the first and most important choice, in my opinion, is around choosing to provide ourselves and our children with good and accurate sex education. Do we educate our children and ourselves about sexuality, including the emotional, biological, and reproductive aspects of it? Or do we delegate that to teachers? Or do we do like my mom and say, just use common sense? Do we fear that talking to kids will make them want to do it? In case you haven't noticed, no one talks to our pets about sex and disease and birth control, but they figure it out anyway. They can be neutered, but we don't usually want to do that to our children. Without reasonable sex education, we can also litter our lives with unwanted and unplanned children. Teaching our kids responsibility and knowing how to practice birth control and all the other work, time, and responsibility that goes into raising the child helps them know they don't want to get into it too early. Even more important, however, is teaching our children to honor and respect their own bodies and those of others And know it is not only okay, but important to be able to stand up and tell someone not to touch or whatever. It is also important that they know if anyone does or tries to do anything to their private parts or even other parts of their bodies, they need to talk to you or the authorities right away and not be afraid. Because some sexual bullies will make threats to harm them or someone they love. It is important for you not to condemn them if something happens and be a source of information and protection they can trust and turn to. They also need to be educated that the world is full of all kinds of differences and the idea is not to condemn those others but to know how to care for the self and avoid some people if necessary. Some of our youth today are actually pretty educated and tolerant about the whole thing. So feel free to have a two-sided education discussion and don't hesitate to do research if it's needed. We need to exercise care not only to lead our kids or other people to an inappropriate sense of shame about enjoying 
a part of life that is totally essential to the continuation of the human race and all sexually reducing species. This creates unnecessary problems that can interfere with all kinds of relationships and with people's emotional well-being. We also need to exercise care not to lead our children or other people to an inappropriate sense of shame about enjoying a part of life that is totally essential to the continuation of the human race and all sexually reproducing species. This creates unnecessary problems that can interfere with all kinds of relationships and with people's emotional well-being. If sex were so terrible, why would our Creator make it necessary and pleasurable and essential to our species' survival? Why would He make beautiful things like flowers the sex organs of plants? It's another lesson in biology to learn why sexual reproduction has certain biological survival advantages. Another issue involves choices about partners and choices about how we treat them. First, of course, there's a choice to have sex or not. But the major issues are what kind of partners we choose and how we treat them. We can choose appropriate age range people who are not close relatives, who consent to have sex, and then treat them with dignity, regard, and consideration, whether they are the same sex or opposite sex, or we can make bad choices in that area. We can choose to treat the other person as a worthwhile human being or as an object or simply a way to satisfy our urges. Some people choose to coerce and even physically abuse or rape the other person, showing no regard for them as a human being. It is a choice whether we treat the other person as if they are less than human objects who have no rights, no desires of their own, no say-so in their involvement, and so on. We choose to exercise caution and be sure we don't spread diseases, whether sexual or otherwise, or we choose not to. We choose to work in collaboration with our sexual partner in the issue of whether to have children or not. It is a choice to think of a woman who is a spouse or even a prostitute that they somehow forfeit their right to being treated as a human being and decline having sex or to respect their boundaries and rights as human beings. It is a choice for a parent to ignore sexually inappropriate behaviors and justify misbehaviors in their children, especially boys, or even blame the other person or to make sure they know they are accountable. Law enforcement officers and judges should choose to treat a sexual victim with respect, investigate fully, and try to see that justice is done for all parties. Some of them, however, choose, like a judge in Michigan did, to give a very light sentence to an adult male for having sex with a four-year-old, justifying it by saying she was asking for it. Really? A four-year-old? As a society, do we condone those kinds of behaviors? Or hopefully do as the people who had elected that judge and quickly remove him from office? Choice is raping an unconscious woman behind a dumpster at college 
and choices his father believing that he shouldn't be punished for 20 minutes of action. And choice is a judge saying he shouldn't be punished harshly. In my view, these are not good choices. And I doubt these same men would want that same treatment for their own daughters. The bottom line is choice is what you do with and about your sexuality, no matter what your gender identity. It is a choice to engage in mutually desired sexual activity. It is also a choice to sexually mistreat someone, whether same sex, opposite sex, child, or even infant, people who are alive or dead, and yes, even animals. It is also a choice to keep or break our vows of faithfulness to one's spouse. Choice is looking down on women as things to be sexually exploited or treating them as equals. Hopefully you can see this is very different from the preceding examples of sexual variation. I hope you understand that variation is how we are wired biologically and is not a choice, but how we act upon our sexuality is a choice, as is how we respond to others' sexual behaviors. Another issue is that for LGBTQ people, whether they make a choice to come out or not. Another issue is for LGBTQ people as to whether they make a choice to come out or not, that is, to share their gender identity with the world. It is also a choice whether to participate in the sexual activity that feels right to them or abstain because society doesn't condone that. Another choice, if you are transgendered, is whether you openly do things like cross-dressing, undergoing hormonal therapy, and even going so far as to have surgery on your body to make you look more like the gender that you have felt was appropriate all your life. Lest you think this latter issue is all imagination, there was a case reported in a training program I listened to where a male infant was born, but his genitals were damaged so badly at birth they were never going to function, and the decision was made to operate and make him look like a girl and identify him as a girl. He always felt like a guy and felt very validated in this when he found out he actually was genetically a male and what had happened and did what he could to return that to normal. Thus, with all the variations in sexuality we have discussed, it is also quite clearly possible for someone to be born feeling like the opposite sex of the one they physically appear to be, just like with the testicular feminization illustration we discussed earlier. Over many years, as both a psychiatrist and very involved orchid grower, I've had the great pleasure of knowing many really fine gay people I'm proud to call clients or friends. I have yet to have a gay patient or friend who would have chosen to be gay because it is something that is so hated and reviled. And because of social norms, they often even hate themselves for how they are. In fact, they are often even harder on themselves for who they are than society has been, and that is not easy. That coming out choice is often delayed for a long time 
because of fears of rejection from family or society and other negative consequences. Fortunately, most families are not only accepting of their children's identity, but many of them have suspected it for some time. Parents sometimes wrongly blame themselves for their children's gender identity issues. And at one point in the psychiatry field, there was a tendency to want to find someone to blame for causing the problem besides the identified person. This was back in the time when things like homosexuality were also considered psychiatric disorders, which is no longer an issue. It is noteworthy that a church program that used to try to convert gays back to normal has now realized that is not correct and have stopped the programs. Some strictly gay men and women even tried to be normal by marrying opposite-sex partners, which almost always ends up in divorce because it just doesn't feel right. Sometimes it's very difficult for that opposite-sex spouse to be rejected in favor of a same-sex person, but they must also choose whether to view that as a rejection for who they are or accept that their partner was trying hard to be who they were not and it didn't work because of the basic biological attraction, not because something was wrong with either person. I know if I had ever tried to engage in a gay relationship just to have a partner, it would never have worked because I could not force myself to be someone I am not in that area. If you're bisexual, then those options feel comfortable. If you're strictly homosexual or strictly heterosexual, that doesn't feel comfortable. That kind of very strong gender identification is probably another issue for some people who are so negative and hateful toward gays. They just can't understand how someone is not heterosexual and thus anything someone might do beyond that must be a perverted choice. That belief, of course, is wrong. Few people are willing to come out like Bruce slash Chris Jenner and make his dilemma an issue for public education. And he was dealing with the even harder issue of helping people see that transgendered is a part of the spectrum. Some people do find people of both sexes attractive, and some will do almost anything sexual with anybody or anything. To me, the key issue here is whether there is an intent to harm or disregard the wishes of the other person. Masters and Johnson once commented that gays are condemned because they don't use sex for procreation, and then pointed out that for the average heterosexual, probably less than a tenth of a percent of their sexual time was spent thinking about making babies, and they didn't think it made sense to punish gays for a tenth of a percent of their sexual time either. In conclusion about choices, we need to focus on those things that are choices, that can lead to good rather than bad consequences. Promote those things that lead to informed, mutual, non-abusive sex, and quit punishing people for things we probably don't understand and they have no choice about, such as their gender identity. We probably need to think harder, too, about things like our bathroom bills, insisting that people use the bathroom of their assigned birth gender. Do you think it might be a bit tough on all parties concerned 
if a transgendered person who now looks and acts totally like the opposite sex from their birth walked into the appropriate bathroom for their designated gender? Would you want a girl who, for all intents, looked like a guy walking in on your daughters, or vice versa? Here we can choose a simple and non-judgmental solution of just having that single bathroom that's also available for people where there is conflict like that. We can choose to look for positive solutions or choose to make things a problem when they don't have to be. As an interesting wake-up, I would like us to look at some of the people in history who have been gay and ponder whether we would really want them not to have existed in our world because of their gender identity. When AIDS became so prevalent in gays as well as drug users and sexual contacts of all the above, when those people were dying in large numbers, I was hopeful that people would begin to realize all the things that gays have contributed to the world, especially in creative areas. It was almost as if the things they created were their children being passed onto the world and often leaving a legacy of beauty and creativity and social change lasting for hundreds and even thousands of years. I refer to people like Michelangelo with his incredible art, Leonardo da Vinci with both his art and many ahead-of-their-time inventions like flying machines and indoor heating and cooling systems, Tchaikovsky with his music, Alexander the Great and Frederick the Great who shaped history, Oscar Wilde, Herman Melville, Walt Whitman and many other famous writers. Many musicians, actors like Rock Hudson, dancers like Barishnikov, and many other creative types who enrich our lives in so many ways. Would we throw them and their work away because they were gay? And how about Alan Turing, who was an incredible mathematician, was able to crack the codes of the Germans during World War II to help end the war? and was integral in developing computers. Or maybe some of our current media people, like Rachel Maddow, Anderson Cooper, Ellen DeGeneres, politicians like Tammy Baldwin and Barney Frank, or astronaut Sally Ride. They all do things to contribute greatly to society and sometimes to enrich it for a very long time. They also contribute significantly as gays to zero population growth, an increasingly urgent issue as our population has hit seven and a half billion. It's easier for gay couples to adopt now, and there have been some stellar stories of how gay parents work to make sure their children are exposed to plenty of normal people. However, unless they had one of those supposed to marriages to the opposite sex for a while, Generally, they are not procreating and adding to the population explosion. In summary, there is abundant evidence that sexual variation is just another example of our Creator's infinite diversity in what is created in this universe. Thus, it is not a choice, but just like any other quality we are endowed with. We do have a choice of what we do with it and whether we choose to do good or 
or harm, and whether to respect or diminish those who are different from ourselves, or hate and punish others because they represent something that we have learned to hate for whatever reason that makes them different from yourself. It is my desire that we all start making more choices driven by love instead of fear and hatred, or by thinking there's only one right way to be. If we truly want to make this world a better place, instead of thinking we are God and should make the judgment of what should and shouldn't exist in the world, start looking for the perfection even in those things that seem so hard to understand at times, realizing that this universe has run very well for billions of years and we weren't running it then and won't be running it in the future. And you only get this particular life journey once. So I hope you will learn to sit back and enjoy it in all its diversity. Thank you for listening to Shrink Wrapped, where our goal is to help you shrink away your problems and increase your rapture in your life. If you want to find additional information, please go to my website, Go Dr. Judy. That's G-O-D-R-J-U-D-Y dot com. I look forward to meeting you again next week when I will have Anna Leoy as my guest and we will be talking about the mind-body connection. Thank you. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com. 